I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to episode 298 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and just two episodes before 300, which is where we fade to black with Mars Attacks. But for now, we have the two-part special on 1983. So how this episode went down is that I asked my patrons to submit their top 10 albums of 1983. And I assigned points to each of those albums based on where they're positioned on everyone's list. So number one got 10 points. Number two got nine points. Uh, number three, eight, all the way down to 10, which receives one point. I tally all the points up, and that's where these albums appear on the master list. 43 different albums were voted on. There was a clear number one. Uh, there was a clear number two. And then there's a bunch of albums that were grouped together. There, there are several groups that are... And this happens all the time with all these lists that I do with the patrons. They're a lot of fun to do because there's a lot of great talk, banter, dismay... <laughs> name it people that are thrilled about having albums that they voted on uh, appear within the top 10 like me because none of my number ones have ever made it to number one yet we'll see if that changes and then there are others that are in dismay of where albums end up uh, if you followed this, you know that Johan up in Sweden is very passionate about his bands and where they end up. With the last month's thrash discussion, we had uh, we had Johan in dismay with regards to the band Creator. And then once you know everything was laid out, he understood why Creator was where they were. So hang on in there. We're gonna recap albums. 43 through 16 real quickly. And then we're going to jump on into this episode has a thorough detailed discussion of 15 through number six. It's a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoy it. Here we go. Welcome one and all to the August 26, 2022 edition of the Signals from Mars live stream. Hello to Jose in the chat and joining me from all around the world. We'll go clockwise with this. We have Mike Jones in New Jersey. We have Johan in Sweden. We have Jeremy in the UK. We have Brad Dahl in Utah and in Kentucky. We have Ed. How's everyone doing tonight? Great. Right. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> cool. 
So uh, for those of you that are joining us live, for those of you that are listening to the replay, um, we are counting down the top tracks, or not the top tracks. We will get to the top three tracks, but the top albums of 1983. We are going to recap the top 15. We'll discuss the top 15, but real quickly, I'm going to run through numbers 43 through 16 to see what everyone picked. And, you know, everyone is telling me off air in emails, and this happened to me as well. This was very hard because there are a lot of albums that could have been in each one of our top tens. Now, the ones that are in the top 10 were voted by a lot of people, and that's why they're there. There are others that were voted by a few, so they're lower down. So anyway, let's start it off. 43, Triumph with Never Surrender. 42, Raven with All for One. 41, Pat Benatar, Live from Earth. Number 40, Man of War with Into Glory Ride. 39, Gary Moore with Victims of the Future. 38, UFO and Making Contact. 37, Slayer, Show No Mercy. 36, Ramones, Subterranean Jungle. 35, MSG with Built to Destroy. 34, Merciful Fate with Melissa. 33, Diamond Head with Canterbury. Am I pronouncing that correctly, Jeremy? How would you pronounce Canterbury in, in the UK? Yep. Canterbury. Canterbury. There you go. All right. Uh, 32, Misfits with Earth AD. 31, Kiss with Lick It Up. 30, Journey Frontiers. 29, Coney Hatch, Out of Hand. 28, Black Sabbath, Born Again. 27, The Rods. In the Raw, 26, Magnum, the 11th hour, 25, ZZ Top, Eliminator, 24, Billy Idol and Rebel Yell, 23, these are actually two EPs back-to-back, 23 is Rat with the self-titled EP, 22 is Queensryche with the self-titled EP, and 21, Mama's Boys. With Turn It Up, uh, with these last five that I'm going to mention, yeah, Johannes saying a lot of great albums got passed, of course. I mean, but this is like the last time when we did the thrash. Remember, Johan, you mentioned with Creator. And then as other bands started coming out, then you started to say, well, maybe they did deserve to be down there. It isn't to say that any of these albums aren't great, but there's just so much good stuff. So at 20, we have Crocus with Headhunter. 19, we have Sabotage with Sirens. Number um, 18, we have Fastway with their self-titled debut. And I'm seeing that I screwed something up here. Uh, number 17. All right, let me rectify this real quick because I did take the time to prepare this, but I just didn't upload it. Uh, where are we here? 
I wanted to, I, I want to show this because uh, I know that this almost made someone's list from a piece of paper that a dog actually was uh, kind of chewing on. And there you go, Brad. And someone else who saw that list said, oh my God, I'm not the only one who thought this album was, was great. So uh, coming in at 17, Huey Lewis and the news with sports. <laughs> so um, there's people, I mean, this was a big album back then. So I can't blame the people that voted on this. I realize that it's not completely hard rock or metal, but this was on the radio a lot back then. So, and coming in at number 16, an album that I personally thought would rank higher. But again, there's so many good albums on here. ACDC, Flick of the Switch, number 16. So, Brad is saying that, that the Huey Lewis album was, was a great album. So again, I knew a lot of people that was that were into that album. And again, huge artist, huge album at that time. So 15. At 15, we take things over to the UK. It's a band that in the UK has always been big, but has never quite made it big in America. The name of the album is Script. For a jester's tear. Jeremy knows what it is. Yeah. It's Marillion. Jeremy, is there anything you can describe to the folks who aren't familiar with Marillion, what this album is about? Yeah, it's um, they're kind of like a Genesis kind of band sort of emerged out of Genesis. Um, so they're very proggy. Um, very Milan obviously got a very unique singer in Fish um, I recently bought this album last year and, it, and uh, it's fantastic and I, I probably would have just about put it on the top albums you know to consider so it kind of missed out but that doesn't mean to say that it's not a fantastic album there's some really great songs on it but you've got to like the Marillion sound and it's not it's uh you know it's prog rock uh, so it's you know it's an acquired taste really very really popular yeah and like we're saying the the rules to this was that you could only pick 10 albums so for those that aren't aware that haven't listened to these specials that we've done in the past uh, i received the top 10 and number 10 or excuse me, number one gets 10 points, number two, nine points, number three, eight, all the way down to 10, which gets one point. So there's a lot of albums here that if we went out to 15, if we went to 20, I'm sure more people would have voted on. But because we only did 10, you know, we got that Marillion album there. So um, let's see, number 14. There could be the first gripe of contention. Within the show. It is Thin Lizzy with Thunder and Lightning at 14. Johan, you've always said that Thin Lizzy is arguably the most important band in Sweden. See, Johan is writing, I protest. <laughs> Johan, tell us about this album. It's obviously the, 
the Juan Thin Lizzy album with John Sykes. It's their heaviest album as well. Um, what does this album mean to you? Well, I'm not a Thin Lizzy expert, but this is an excellent hard rock album uh, with, in my opinion, not a bad tune on that LP. So I don't know what went wrong here in the voting, but uh, something, I don't know. Did you count wrong, Victor? No? I, I did not count wrong, but again, ah. the, 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 pro, the problem is um, a lot of people that voted on this, this was towards the bottom mm -hmm. of the 10. So that means you, got, you get less points for it. And mm -hmm. also, as, as Brad is saying, too many, too many Americans voted. Um, I think Thin Lizzy, and this, this is what I was listening to Despot Geek a few weeks ago. For a lot of Americans, Thin Lizzy is Boys Are Back in Town and Jailbreak. And Thin Lizzy doesn't go beyond that. Um, they're a band that, unless you really do a deep dive into them, they really didn't get played a lot in the U.S., but they were big for bands like Guns N' Roses, bands that came out after them. They were hugely influential. The thing is, for the mainstream, for radio, for your regular rock fan, Thin Lizzy, unfortunately, was limited to those two songs. Um, and now you've seen all these years later, bands like Overkill and Mastodon covering songs like Emerald. Ace Freely covered Emerald as well. So, you know, within the music community, they're well-respected. The thing is also we're getting back to just 10 albums. And even if people voted on them, you'll see there's, there's the top five have a distinct difference to the, to the bottom five. And, and then those 10 are way different than 11 through everything beneath that. So um, see, there you go. Jeremy says it was in his top 10 or top three, excuse me. Number 13. Uh, let me find my place here. Okay, here we go. The self-titled debut by Suicidal Tendencies. This one ranked high for me. Um, I don't remember if anyone here else voted on it. Anyone want to talk about this album? For me, it didn't make my top 10, but it was 10A. It was one of the ones that I was really, really waffling on because it was hugely influential for me. Um, I remember riding my bike to the record store to buy it and pedaling home with it, bouncing off my knee. Uh, just, you know, those songs are so just raw. And, uh, you know, the, I mean, the, you know, the, the videos that came out of it were, were great and, and huge back then, you know, the introduction of the, the MTV generation and really getting us into harder and heavier stuff. And, uh, you know, some awesome, uh, you know, kind of one of the first really political type bands that I got into with some of the songs on there where they were commenting on, you know, what was going on in the world and kind of opened my eyes for sure. Yeah. And also, um, for example, when we put the thrash list together, they were obviously there. They ranked pretty high there. Um, Ed, you were a fan of a lot of thrash stuff. You listed DRI when we put that playlist together. Uh, Suicidal also, like DRI, one of arguably and possibly the most influential 
crossover band to really bring in a lot of like punk elements to thrash, which didn't have it uh, previous to that. Um, I really think that this album, again, is as Mike is saying, truly influential because of that, because it brought different aspects that maybe you had a Metallica and a Megadeth and an Anthrax that had those sprinkles of stuff like this, but wasn't as full on as suicidal was. And I truly think that this album really changed a lot of things for a lot of bands that were coming out after them. Um, Ed, what's your opinion on this first suicidal album? I love this album. That's one that was hard not to put in the top 10. Uh, I don't think I heard this one until I was 16 right. and met uh, one of my best music buddies. And, but you know, this record was always something fun to listen to after listening to so many hours of thrash and heavy metal all the time. Right. It was something different you could put on and have a really good time. And, and to this day, that's, that's kind of one of those records I pull out when I want to hear something different. Right. That's, you know, that's still fun and energetic and gets you pumping. Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, okay. So on to number 12. Now this album was a very unique album. And I know that Mark Striegel has said that this is his favorite album by this band. And it's unique because of the formation, because of there was a guitarist that left the band who went on to form another band who uh, I already mentioned who released the band or released an album in 83. Actually, at 19, we had Fastway. So uh, I'm sure that may tip some of you off. Robo came into the band and we got Another Perfect Day by Motorhead. Um, I mean, Lemmy is Lemmy. Motorhead had a specific sound, but Motorhead also had changes along the way, which I think a lot of people don't give them credit for. Another Perfect Day was one of those changes because Brian Robertson was so different coming from Thin Lizzy and coming from another side of things. What he added to Motorhead was, was a lot more layered and textured guitars than what Eddie Clark had done with them previously. And unfortunately he only lasted an album because of butting heads with, um, with Lemmy. But I mean, just listen to the song dancing on your grave, which was the, the single off of it. I mean, that is completely different to anything that they had done with Eddie Clark before, you know, it was showing that they could do different things. And, and, you know, again, I think that, a lot of people say, oh, Motorhead's never changed. I think they changed on this album. There are some 90s albums that are very different. There's some of the latter albums that were very different where they were down tuning more and doing different things to, you know, Motorhead did kind of keep up with the times here and there. So, yes, it was Lemmy and it was loud and it was still rock and roll. But there are different things along the way that I think that they varied enough of their sound to uh, to say that they that they did change a little. Uh, anyone else want to speak to this album? I just want to say it's a great album. One of my favorite uh, Motorhead albums. 
nothing to say uh, more than you said, but great songs, uh, especially the opener is a uh, personal favorite of mine, but yeah, great album and great cover. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an awesome cover. All right, so jumping to number 11. This one may be a surprise to a lot of people as well, but we have to think of some of the, al- the other albums that were voted on. At 11, Power and the Glory by Saxon. Yeah. Mr. Dahl, we haven't heard from you yet with regards to... Uh, any albums? I know that you voted for this. You've been chatting away here. Uh, oh, he disappears off screen. We, we, we. Oh, I'm back. I'm back because this album, this album, this is this is how I tell time is with this album. Based so, on that, based on the album, based on yeah. well, it's it it's, says the the big hand says it's time to rock. There, there you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, there's the there's the backside of the album. Yeah. Yeah, cool picture disc. Remember these pictures? Well, I guess picture discs. They were a thing. Um, I, I still have pictures. This is, a, this is an incredible album, I think. Um, his first album featured Nigel Gluck. Gluckler as a the drummer. And his his playing on here is just uh, it, it's out of control. I mean, well, it, it's, un, it's in control, but it's just like he, he's gone nuts. And I've actually, I've actually talked to him about that. I said, guy, you know, didn't you, the producer say something like, Hey, you know, we need to, we need to right ring, rain these drums in a little bit or the band thought, guy, what's this guy doing? He said, no. Um, he said, just go for it. And he did. And the, the, but the songs are great. The, the songs are just fantastic. I mean, I can listen to the whole thing top to bottom. It's uh, every song kicks ass. And what can you say? If you, yeah, it, if you've never heard Saxon and you want an album to start with, I would say this is a great one. Okay, everything's clicking on here. The production's slick. The songs are all just good. It's a, uh, I mean, they're they're really hitting their stride here with this album. So there you go. Did you make the clock or did you buy it like that? No, actually, the drummer in my band uh, made it for me as a gift. Oh, okay. He, yeah, he does. He does this as a hobby, and he saw this in a, a record store, and was like, "Oh, I'm going to get that for Brad and and make a clock out of it." And oh, wow. uh, it hang it hangs on my wall here in the studio. So there you go. There you go. That that way, you always know when it's time to rock. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, that. It's always time to rock. Ed, believe it or not, Ed is saying in the chat in our private chat here that he wants to ride the lightning one. At a uh, local store, which is like the equivalent of a Best Buy, they actually have, they, they'll make clocks like that for you. And one of their um, examples is a Metallica clock. But it's, mm. it's newer because it's, um, uh, oh no, it is with the old M. It's just the M's like going around uh, like as a clock. So it looks pretty neat. Um, Jeremy, I'm sure you want to say something about Power and the Glory? Yeah. Uh, well, Saxon are one of my favorite bands, and they released on over the, you know, the, eight, the early 80s. And this one is up there. It's, uh, you know, it's one of their better albums. Um, you know, it came after Wheels of Steel and Strong Arm of the Law, 
which were two superb albums. So they really had to keep, you know, the momentum going. Um, and obviously denim and leather as well. Um, so you know, there, there was a lot of good albums. If you listen to it, the the, the very last track, which is um, the Eagle has landed, uh, still at the moment, and it's probably their best track live. Even though they've got so, it just has a lot of atmosphere about it, and so I really like that track. And I, you know, I like the album. I think it really rocks. And it was in my top ten as well. Cool. Anyone else want to say class. anything about what was that? Go ahead. I just said, and it's a great clock. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, I didn't hear what you said. Sorry. Um, I anyone do, else? I do have to, wait, can I say something real quick? Go ahead. Okay, I, I have asked uh, the members of the band what their favorite um, song to play live is. Okay. And Paul Quinn's favorite is The Eagle Has Landed. Um because uh, he gets a chance to really just go off on the guitar and it, it always, always features a great solo by him. And Nigel, the drummer, his favorite song to play live is This Town Rocks. Or, yeah, yeah, This Town Rocks, that's what's in there. Isn't This Town Knows How to Rock? I don't know. Am I right, Jeremy? With, yeah, or is the album right here? This I Town Rocks. This, this Town Rocks, I think, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. I, um, yeah, so there you go. Yeah. So two of uh, Saxon's current members their favorite songs to play live are on this album. I think that says a lot right there. Cool. Anyone else want to say something about Saxon? All right. I hope they come to the, I hope they come to the U.S. again. Cool. So um, let's see. Uh, f- 15, once again, we had Marillion with Script, script for a Jester's Tear, 14, Thin Lizzy. Thunder and Lightning, 13 Suicidal Tendencies with their self-titled debut. Uh, Motorhead at 12 with Another Perfect Day. 11 Saxon with The Power and the Glory. So uh, here we go. Top 10. Before we, we, uh, we, we get to the top 10, do you guys more or less think you know what albums will be in the top 10 or at least it within the first few positions, you guys think yeah. it'll be a, you know, okay. All right. Let's see at number 10. I think this is the only band on this list that changed their name after they had re- released a few albums. Um, the singer, the singer guitarist, was one of my first interviews and one of my biggest interviews, actually. I actually uh, re uploaded it to, <laughs> to Patreon. Brad is showing the t shirt. He is indeed correct. The circle does get the square for Brad. It is YNT with Mean Streak. My introduction to YNT was the title track, Mean Streak. Um, but YNT is a band that I didn't kind of get into until later on after discovering that. But obviously, this made number 10. A lot of people voted on this album. So, uh, Mike, you're nodding your head. Um, give us a little Mean Streak here. Oh, God. Um, 
like for me, I mean, it definitely made my top 10 wine tea I've seen live 23 times. So obviously I, I sort of like them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a picture of Dave Minichetti's guitar over my fireplace. Um, so that's where they sit in, in my world. So um, yeah, I absolutely love this album top to bottom. You know, they still play most of the songs on it in a fairly regular rotation live. Um, not a not a filler song on that album at all. Um, and you know, when he says keeping up with the Joneses is tough in Mean Streak, I mean, you got me hooked right there, like that. Right. Um, well, I think that that was about when I discovered the band as well, and then kind of went back in their catalog and have been a huge fan ever since. Cool. Who else wants to uh, say something about uh, Wine Tea's Mean Streak? Yeah, I, oh, go on. Go on, Brad. You first. Oh, no, you're up. Go ahead. No, I just wanted to say that, um, that my, um, Mike's actually totally, it, it, you know, they're, they're fantastic. And I've seen them live as well uh, several times. And me really got into. Um, you know, some great songs on it on there. Um, really, there, you know, you play it now and it still sounds really fresh. And I think that's a really good sign of a good album that you've to it. And, and you still listen to songs with a sort of a, a little bit of a different ear. Um, and, and that's a good sign. Cool, Brad. Yeah, as I was going to say, this is my very first YNT album. And I, yeah, I fell in love with them the very first time I heard this. Uh, every, yeah, every, Mike is so right. Every song on here is great. They still play a bulk of these songs every time they play. And I have to say this, other, other than at a Rush concert, I've never seen peop, more people air drum than I have to the song hang them high because there's that snare break in there and everybody, everybody plays along with it. It's hilarious. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about though. You might. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, You got, you, you, you can't stop yourself. Everybody, everybody's waiting for that break and they, and everybody jumps in and it's kind of hilarious because it's not an urban thing. Uh, It's a great song too. I've seen them open with that a a few times and you can open with so many of these songs. Uh, Yeah. They're, they're, I think, you know, uh, the whole underrated thing, I think they're definitely uh, one of the most underrated rock bands in the history of, of uh, hard rock. Uh, I mean, they're they're just so good and they're still so good, even though it's only Dave uh, that's flying, you know, this original guy. Uh, but everybody in the band is still good. And there you go. I mean, yeah, some of their lyrics are pretty corny, but that's OK. <laughs> it's fun and they rock and Dave plays his ass off. Uh, sings his ass off, writes great songs. He's a he's a triple threat, man. And by all yeah, accounts, this, this, nice guy this, too. This is the album with Midnight Midnight in Tokyo on. I mean, this yeah. What a- I'll say that a lot of people voted for that song. Actually, I was surprised more more than the title track. Which song? Midnight in Tokyo. Oh, interesting. That's that's one of my least favorite songs. <laughs> really. <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 like saying it's my least favorite pe- type of pizza kind of thing. I mean, you know, mean streaks like pizza. I mean, it, some some are better than others, but um, it's all good. There you go. Up next at 
Number nine. This is the band, although the title track also for this album got voted a lot. If it wasn't for this band, you'd never have camouflage in hard rock and in metal. We're talking about Accept, and the album is Balls to the Walls. At the time, I remember when Udo was coming out with the camouflage, people, you know, started thinking about Nazi Germany and stuff like that. And they didn't realize that it had nothing to do with that. It was actually just Udo trying to do something different that other people weren't doing. And sure as shit, that's probably a fashion statement that's still around today with metalheads that are still wearing camo. Whether it's green, black, gray, white, or any any color in between, uh, camo is still a thing. And I don't know that everyone realizes, or some of the younger people anyway, that Udo was really the first guy to um, to bring that into metal. Um, Johan, you voted for this album. Um, Tell us your take on Balls to the Wall. Oh, it's a fantastic album. Uh, I remember the, the thing that they said, and this was back in the 1983, 84-ish here in Sweden, that it was uh, kind of like, uh, you know, a gay uh, cover of the LP and the back cover. Uh, and, and that would be a bad thing today. That's the whole. Today it would be a good thing that <laughs> if, if you do a thing like that. So uh, it's a big difference. Uh, I love the album. Every song, it's a classic, absolutely classic. Uh, I don't remember the the camouflage thing, but uh, the, the the other thing that I mentioned is was the the big thing here. Uh, sad to say. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that album has uh, some really good songs. I don't know what you, uh, American fellows, friends, thinks about the album. Yeah, Brad. I would like to hear. I would like to hear. Yeah, Brad, uh, since, uh, since Johan is calling out the Americans, uh, go <laughs> ahead. You voted for this one. I did vote for this one. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great album. And let's face it, except never has been that big here in America. Uh, they just haven't. I mean, I, I'd heard of the band, never heard one of their songs, you know, knew they were German and metal and I'm like, well, you know, the only German metal band I'd ever heard of was Scorpions and I love them. So I figured, well, I'm going to love except, uh, first time I heard him, I was like, what is up with this singer? Um, and so I kind of, you know, uh, I kind of didn't really get into them because of Udo himself, his voice. Uh, but I was so wrong. I mean, later when I really started listening to them and it actually happened when I saw them, when I saw Udo live, uh, I fell in love with the guy. I mean, not, not in an album cover way, but in a, a <laughs> musician way. I mean, the guy, the guy is, a he has a charisma. He's very charming. His voice is very odd sounding, but that guy can sing. I mean, he hits every note. I mean, he's not all over the place. He's not, he, he doesn't cheat on anything. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, he bring he brings it every time I've seen them. Uh, yeah. He's been incredible. Um, the song balls to the wall. 
I've played that uh, a few times in a band, and I'll tell you what: when everybody plays that well, there's no more powerful song to play live. It just it it it's got <laughs> such an incredible spirit to it, and it just it just rocks. And it's one of my favorite songs to play on the bass. So there you go. I think all yeah. you, all you musicians here can uh, agree if you've ever played it. It's it it takes hold of you. So uh, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And the video. The rest, of, the rest of the album's really good too. But I mean, you can't just go with the one song. But um, yeah, it's a great, uh, great album, great band. And now we have, well, we still have Accept uh, the band, and which they're, they're really good. And Udo, Udo is uh, really, really good. So go, go support them both and uh, get those UDO albums if you haven't heard them. If you kind of like Accept, you're going to love UDO. There you go. Go ahead, Johan. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about asking Jeremy how big was accepting in the UK in nineteen eighty three, eighty four. Yeah, they weren't they weren't a massive band in the UK. Uh, people were just sort of getting into them very slowly. They become probably a little bit bigger later on. Um, there was a lot of new times. So there was a lot of British bands, and obviously a lot of people getting into American bands. So to be, you know, they were not the greatest band everybody was talking about, but I think it started to put them on the map. Okay, and and just to to clarify, Johan, the title track got played all the time on MTV. Balls to the Walls, the video was on MTV constantly, and even though they weren't as well known. Um, you have to think that a track like, uh, and I know it's not on the album, but Fast as a Shark is probably one of the most influential songs when it comes to a lot of early thrash because the double bass part, I think that that song and probably um, Bomber by Motorhead are the two songs that got everyone to play double bass. I know that you know, I've heard Lars Ulrich and Charlie Benante talk a lot about Fast as a Shark being the song that kind of, whoa, you know, opened their eyes to want to play fast and, and play the double bass like that. So, again, except even though they're not a lot like Thin Lizzy, even though the general public doesn't know who they are, probably the, the casual metalhead, the, the Eddie Trunk listening metalhead probably only knows um the title track th that said um the, except is still hugely influential uh to the overall genre so I, I don't think that can be discounted at all uh we welcome mr anthony mackey to the show hope you are doing good sir thanks for joining us so um, we are currently at number nine with Accept and Balls to the Wall. And um, we move on to number eight, an album that I voted for. I was surprised that it only got to number eight. But then I started to think because once again, we were only able to pick 10 albums. So there were so many massive albums to come out this year that as great as this album is 
it goes to show a how good and how strong of a year this is but also their biggest impact probably didn't come till an album or two later and the the band is metallica with kill em all as hugely important as kill em all is in 83 within the voting here it only got to number eight ed you voted on this album tell us uh yeah yeah good yeah you know this this was one of the the hard parts yeah 1983 was like the most foundational year of my whole heavy metal music journey and so you know more than any other year I was really struggling to weigh, you know, the objective success and influence of an album to that to the genre of metal versus how much of an impact any one of those albums had on me. And uh, I'm going I'm to try to <laughs> make my comments here without revealing the other albums that are probably on the list. <laughs> but uh like it, like an album that we'll probably talk about here soon that I put above this one um, is probably I, I put it up higher on the list because of the you know the moment in my music life that that was to me. I've listened to Ride the Light or not Ride the Lightning, uh, Kill 'Em All probably a thousand times more than a couple that I put you know higher than that record. Um, so yeah, you know, that it was struggle. It was a struggle to make that balance. Uh, but of course, yeah, this record is one that I've listened to and still do, you know, every month it's, it never leaves my playlist. Okay. Johan, you were, uh, raising your hand there. Yeah. Uh, Kill Em All is a great album, but, uh, for me, I, I didn't hear that album until later uh, in my life, uh, perhaps around Ride the Lightning. Um, so I went back to hear it. Uh, and back then I thought it was, for me, a little bit too raw or too simple. I don't know. Or the most probably, probably cause is that I was into other types of metal at that time so that's why i didn't pick that one higher but uh yeah. yeah that's cool yeah anthony you had this on your list as well anything you'd like to say about kill em all your mic isn't on Okay, Anthony's going to pass. Um yeah, like, like I said, um it's 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 a hugely influential album, but I think a lot of people like Johan said probably didn't get to hear it until Ride the Lightning or Master of Puppets because it was really under the radar. I, I the, the band is as great as this album is. They didn't find their footing yet where as as much as I love this album, I think once you hear or excuse me, Ride the Lightning you're like, ah, that's when they finally got their finger on the pulse and took that extra step. Again, not diminishing this album at all, but 
there's so many tremendous albums on here. I mean, the next album, I'm going to, I'm going to look at this real quick between those that are here. Um, I think almost everyone voted for this album. Almost. Let's see. Yeah. So, um, well, almost everyone, about half and half. This album told, sold, excuse me, has a diamond award. So that means that it sold 10 times platinum. Uh, I was surprised to hear members of Armored Saint say that this album and the band's two previous albums were a huge influence on them and a lot of bands out in LA because I didn't think, you know, that A, they would cop to it because maybe it has a more polished, the more popular sound to it than what the band had done previously and what these bands are kind of known for. But uh, Ed, to your point, when we were talking about Metallica, number seven, Pyromania by Def Leppard. I just released an unboxing for the uh, limited edition red vinyl today up there on Patreon. This album was huge. I mean, if, if you're from that MTV generation, Def Leppard, I mean, was one of the first hard rock bands you saw all the time. I mean, you saw Photograph, you saw Rock of Ages, and you saw Fooling all the time on the radio. And then later, or excuse me, on MTV, and then Too Late for Love after that. So this was not only on MTV, but to this day, this still has all those tracks, plus Rock Rock Till You Drop, get played on U.S. radio every single day without counting all the stuff from the other albums. So Def Leppard, although a UK import, a huge band in, in the US. Ed, you voted this number one, if I'm not number mistaken. Number one, list. yeah. Yeah, this, this was the start for me. Uh, it, I mean, or when this album came out, it opened up a whole new world of hard rock into my life. Um, I don't know what I've said in this uh, group before. You may remember me and some of Mark's shows talking about uh, my home life and they wouldn't allow me to listen to any of this stuff. So I had to sneak everything that I wanted to hear. And uh, when I got to 12, 13 years old and this album came out, uh, you know, about that time, a lot of friends and even my grandparents had cable TV in their house with MTV. Right. And these records, as stellar as they were, ended up being played on both the radio and MTV all the time. So, you know, my parents could only keep me from that music when I was at home. Right. If I went to my friends or anywhere in town back then, of course, uh, to school, to my grandparents, I was seeing Pyromania and just was just um i can't put into words how much i love this record i couldn't count how many hours i've spent listening to it and uh i still listen to it on a regular basis and i I could turn this into another three-hour show talking about the record so i'll stop there and let you all have some time with it yeah it's it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, i just had my nephews here and my big thing was trying to keep them off of YouTube because of some of the videos that they meandered onto. But when you talked about 
which you just mentioned, that was my folks with me getting on MTV because we had someone in the family say, oh, there that's just devil stuff on there and it's a bad influence. And, you know, at, when my parents weren't watching, we'd be downstairs watching MTV and seeing if, you know, videos from Def Leppard or, or others uh, that are on this list actually were, were getting played. Plenty of bands that are still, that we're still going to mention. I will honestly say that outside of one of these bands, they were all over MTV. So, um, Johan, uh, I know that you voted this one high on your list as well. What was Pyromania? Uh, what was it like for you in Sweden finding Def Leppard and finding this album? Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Totally. Um, it was, uh, I bought this album in 1984. Totally blown away. It was a masterpiece. And I still think that it is a masterpiece to this day. Uh, I don't know. Uh, every song is a hit. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not shocked, but... There are a lot of good re- records this year, but uh, I thought it would uh, be higher up on the ranking. Um, yeah, I, I mean it's uh, I mean fooling. You don't you don't need fooling enough. <laughs> yes, no, no, just kidding. But every song is right. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. that's the thing. Um Pyromania, it's funny when when I see Phil Collins do interviews and say how Hysteria is obviously, you know, the best album that they ever did. Of course, that's the first one that he wrote on. So he's he's going to say that. But I I mean Pyromania beginning to end, there isn't a bad song off of this. And I, for me personally, um, Hysteria has a lot of stuff towards the end that just is kind of okay, where, where, where I do think that, you know, even, even Billy's Got a Gun, I remember back in the day, Billy's Got a Gun was the B-side to either Rock Rock Till You Drop or, or to one of the four singles. And I remember people were playing Billy's Got a Gun all the time saying, no, that's the best song off of the album. But you think about it, songs like Coming Under Fire and Stage Fright and Action Not Words, those are just as good as the singles that we all heard on the radio. I mean, this was a, a, a monstrous album. Jeremy, in the UK, what was it like for this album, you know, when it came out? Yeah. Yeah. It was were just sort of finding their way. Obviously, they they brought out High and Dry, and I it was a really great metal album. Uh, and then and this one came out, and you you a big single photograph was over here in the UK. I mean, it was it was enormous. Def Leppard were everywhere, and there was a lot of talk about Def Leppard going over to America and selling out at the time. But they were still absolutely huge, and, and they always have been. Uh, uh, and so many hits on it, and you know they went on to produce another album, which we'll talk about 
date uh, when we do the next next one. But um, this album really put them on the map, stars. Um, and like you say, it's the MTV sort of uh, era that uh, um, you know turned them into real American stars. You know, not, not just UK star, worldwide act. Really, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ed, a few people here saying that uh, they're shocked that it was your number one. Yeah. See that I knew they would be. <laughs> I'm having fun pulling that one on them there. <laughs> but again, but like I said earlier, that that's me weighing. You know, the difference between you know how much I've listened to some things maybe over time versus the impact it had on me in the beginning. Because this, yeah, this was the year where. I started uh, having the chance to listen to a lot more stuff than I had in the past. I was loving it. Yeah. All right. So here, here at number six, again, this one surprised me. It's surprising to me because this album wasn't as big of a seller as say pyromania. It wasn't anywhere near as big of a seller, but obviously it was hugely influential on people. Um, let me see who voted on this real quick. Ed voted on it. Um, I know Anthony voted for this as well. I did. And the person that would have been perfect to talk this album up, unfortunately, right before the show, uh, notified me and a few others on Facebook that, uh, he wasn't going to be able to make the show. But Twisted Sister and You Can't Stop Rock and Roll is number six. Now, again, this is an album that didn't sell as much. But given how big Stay Hungry was, I think a lot of people probably went back to it, much like Kill 'em All. But also, man, the songs off of this that are, that are good are great. They're not good. They're just great. I mean, I was looking at when I put the playlist together on this. I mean, the kids are back like a knife in the back, ride to live, live to ride. Uh, we're going to make it. And of course, the title track, you can't stop rock and roll. I mean, this album is just so good beginning to end. And, and to me, you know, it's it's one of these things where it's mind boggling thinking about how this album wasn't big in the States when it came out. You know, it was Stay Hungry was what made it big in the U.S. Um, you know, uh, You Can't Stop Rock and Roll was big in the U.K. before Stay Hungry was, if I'm not mistaken. And for us, I knew who Twisted Sister was, obviously, because of growing up in the New York area. But also we had um, in parallel to, to MTV, there was a station called U68, which was on the U UHF band back in the day, um, which, you know, didn't come through to a lot of households. And U68, because they were based out of Long Island, played Twisted Sister all the time. So they played this video all the time. They'd have interviews with the bandmates saying how, you know, uh, they're still trying to break through in America and how in the UK they were accepted and how Lemmy helped them, you know, get 
where they were in the UK, stuff like that. So to me, it's it was surprising that it didn't rank higher considering some of these other albums. But at the same time, you know, once again, uh, there there were people that voted for it plenty high, and that's why it got to uh, to where it was. Um, Ed, what 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 can you say about this album? It now, of course, with Twisted Sister, I probably heard, you know, "Stay Hungry" first, and then went back into right. their catalog. And I just always remember loving this album. I mean, even today, I still like to put it on every once in a while. It's always a good jam. It, like you said, it's got it's chock full of good tunes. Yeah, it's it's a good uh, you know uh, soundtrack to 1983 kind of too. Yeah, kind of that you know mix of the good hard rock and metal sounds that were all beginning to happen, and has that good raw edge in the garage sound kind of and. Just a good hard rock album with that heavy metal edge to it. Absolutely. Johan, you wanted to say something? I remember that album it's because it was in the... Oh, this is hard for me to translate, but in the uh, records stores mm-hmm. where they had Sheaf Records. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, that one always was there. It was a record that uh, probably didn't sell. Right. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, the album before Under the Blade also was in the Sheep Records. You can buy them for almost nothing. Uh, so Twisted System exploded in Sweden in 1984 with Stay Hungry. But Records before were, uh, I would say, nothing, zero. Yeah, it's the same thing in America. That's that's how it was. And like I said, with Stay Hungry being so big, it um, it made people go back and definitely check this album out. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 